welcome to Feminist Buzzkills, the show whose annual budget is less than a David Brooks airport happy meal. <laughs> Did you see that ish? What a loser. That guy is an alcoholic. I, I think so. I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by my giggling co-host, Moji Alamodeo. Hello. Today is Pat. We have an update on that freakish Southwest Airline lawsuit where a judge ruled it violates someone's religious liberty if you fire them for repeatedly bombarding a coworker's inbox with abortion photos. But after you exile with an eye roll and a, for fuck's sake, under your breath, we also have good news. Yep, we have a win in the ongoing quackery that is abortion reversal. It's exciting. And as always, we have amazing guests from the film Dicks, the musical. Comedian and actor Danielle Perez is here to talk jet skiing, shitty boyfriends, and how we all need to do more to advocate at the intersections of abortion rights and disability rights. Plus, the single employee at the Wild West Abortion Fund in Nevada, Jazz Margarita Tobin, is here to bring us up to speed on access and funding in the Southwest. But first, Kerry Washington, y'all. <laughs> I feel like that's not really an intro. Actually, Kerry is amazing. I have no problems with Kerry Washington, but she's decided this week to tell her abortion story. And it seems like media continues to forget how to talk about abortion in a way that is really disturbing. And it's like all of the headlines, every editor is always, is always like the tragic story she bravely told and the came forward with her secret and all this stuff. And it made me think, you know, is Carrie Washington sort of stigmatizing abortion while she tells her story? But then you go and listen to her talk or read about it. And it's the opposite. So again, it's editors who are trash, yep. even when you're trying to tell your abortion story. They're like, oh, she's struggling. And then you read the article and she's like, I struggled with where in my memoir to put this <laughs> like well yeah. that was misleading <laughs> well and i have to tell you that having talked about abortion in my own book going through what editors try to edit around your story and then those kind of headlines or somebody's disappointed that your abortion story wasn't what they wanted and so then they'll review your book dissing your abortion story like oh that's why you don't want to tell your abortion story in a book or why you're, you know, weighing whether or not you would, because if there's enough pre-press on you telling your story or enough people who are going to put on headlines or whatever, they're not going to get to your dope abortion story. Sometimes they're just going to be like, ah, pass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, Carrie is amazing. And if you just get past the headlines, she really talks about abortion in a measured, reasonable, sensible way. And in a way that is that I would, I like hearing. I'm actually really proud of her. I just also love, you know, hearing Black women and women of color coming forward with their abortion stories, framing it in reproductive justice, so that we know that there is a panoply of narratives and who has abortions and who doesn't and how those experiences are vastly different, oftentimes based on uh, race and gender and your economic status. So mm -hmm. go carry Washington. Thank you. Yay. Uh, Liz, let's talk. Don't we have something to get to? I mean, we always have something to get to. Let's toss it over to Molly because, you know, she's going to drop a steaming pile of this week's news on us all. Hey, Molly. Hey, Molly. Yes, I am. Hello. Thank you so much, friends. Welcome back to your steaming news dump, your abortion weather report from the eye of the shitstorm. First up, you may remember earlier in July, a judge ruled that Wisconsin's 1849 law that had been used to ban abortion pre-row did not actually apply to abortion. So a couple of weeks ago, Planned Parenthood started offering abortions again. Yay! Yes, but naturally, 
Anti-abortion orgs are big mad, shrieking, you aren't the decider. And this week called for Wisconsin DAs to prosecute the clinics that started up abortion services again. Sir, the law that already wasn't a thing has now officially been unthinked. Okay, cut it out. Speaking of giving something the snip, vasectomies have been increasing in Oklahoma since their abortion ban. Having proof of a vasectomy in Oklahoma must really increase your chances of getting laid. So in this case, you really do not want to lose your V-card. Only get laid if you're vaxxed and vast. Vast is a new word I came up with. Okay, so you know what? I'm going to end with some great news coming out of Montana. A district court judge there has temporarily blocked their ban on gender-affirming care. Montana's constitution has really strong protections for individual privacy, which continues to piss off misogynists and bigots who really want to amend the constitution to say that they can fuck with bodily autonomy. And I get now, you guys, why John Mayer lives in Montana, because their bodily autonomy is a wonderland. My God, I nailed that. That was so good. That's been your steaming news dump. Back to you guys. Nailing John Mayer. (laughs) Not recommended. (laughs) No. A lot of people who have nailed John Mayer have come forward and said, "Mm, not so great. Sometimes not so consensual. I don't know. I'm just saying. (laughs) You know what? You did nail it, Molly. You can be the, the next John Mayer. Thank you so much. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Molly. We're now going to get to the stories Liz and I wanted to unpack. And the first one is an update on a story that just keeps getting weirder. Liz? Oh, my God. So I hope you have all been following in every news source that you go to this wild Southwest Airlines story about religious freedom and privacy. Anyway, if you haven't, Southwest Airlines has been dealing with a whole anti-abortion mood swing since 2017. And there was a new development this week. So if you listen to the pod or you watch the news, you might know the backstory. So I'll try to make that part quick. So a court battle between Southwest Airlines and an employee has been going on since 2017. Like I said, a religious employee was big mad that her union supported the Women's March and that people could post about the Women's March on their social media. So she decided, I'm really mad because I hate Planned Parenthood and I hate abortion. So I'm going to start shelling people on social media with pictures of bloody fetuses everywhere. Well, that's a little bit different than putting a picture of yourself in a pussy hat on your own social media. The colleagues who she was shelling with this crap complained. HR looked into it and said, guess what? This seems like you can't do that and we're going to fire you. And she was like, no, my religion dictates I must send this horrible abortion porn to everybody. Every time I read that, I like, I want to spit. <laughs> right? Right? Okay. So the employee sues for wrongful termination and won. And her judge is a dude named Brantley Starr, Ken Starr's nephew, if you were wondering, He ruled that her religious liberties were indeed violated, awarded her millions of dollars in compensation, which was knocked back to $800,000, which is still an outrage, made Southwest give her her job back. And Southwest, of course, is appealing the whole dang thing and is currently awaiting a ruling from the creepy Fifth Circuit Court that gave us the Dobbs case and is also the creepy (laughs) court that gave us the Miffy Pristone case. There are probably more creepy cases we're not talking about, but okay. The other part of this judgment that really gets my goat is that Ken Starr's nephew also ordered the three in-house lawyers for 
Southwest, the ones that defended Southwest, to attend eight hours of religious liberty training conducted by my faves, Alliance Defending Freedom. That's right, the far-right Christian legal bullies that oppose oppose abortion, that are anti-LGBT, and basically almost every case you can think of that removed a right, they were defending it. (laughs) Literally everyone. Everyone. And so Southwest is challenging this training order because it's like, wait, why why do our lawyers have to learn from a hate group? Did I mention that they were a hate group about how to defend religious liberty? And so they put a stay into the Fifth Circuit, the same Fifth Circuit, um, (laughs) saying that this violates everything they care about. This is like forced religious indoctrination. This could be harm. And the plaintiff didn't even ask for this training. No. Nor did the plaintiff say... Uh, object when they said, we want to stay this training until you rule on the whole matter, right? So why are we talking about this today? So why we're talking about this today is that when they filed the stay to not subject their employees to religious indoctrination, it was on September 6th. There was a deadline set for September 26th that if, if the court didn't rule at all, it would de facto, they would have to attend this training, right? Yep. And so they were waiting and they were waiting and they were waiting. And instead, the court did not rule at all until Monday, September 25th, the day before the training was supposed to start. Meanwhile, if you had a Monday training, you've already flown in. You've already flown in. So have the other people, you've had to prepare for it. You probably had to like, if you're queer or non-religious or a brown or a woman or- Or not- Christian. Yes. Or any of the populations that they have tried to um, destroy the rights of. Think about what that feels like that the state has would have forced you to sit through a training from these people. And by the way, you know, the Alliance Defending Freedom, they aren't the lawyers in this case. No, they're not defending this plaintiff. Like the judge just pulled them out because this judge believes that people should be indoctrinated and that HR departments should be creating models based on the tenets of the Alliance of Defending Freedom. So it's a mess. Because this judge is a member of the Federalist Society. Yeah. And why did they wait? This is the part that nobody knows, right? Because they waited for 19 days. To say that they didn't have to do this training that is by a hate group and not really necessary or helpful. The pace that they have done other cases, like there was a Texas book ban case that they heard, took five days, you know, the Biden administration's social media influence case. Oh, I'm sorry, that took three days. You know, it's really messy. And so as we follow to see how this case plays out, I don't know that the Fifth Circuit, it'll be interesting to see, but this could go to the Supreme Court for sure in what it means to post on your own social media page versus other people's, um, what constitutes hate speech and what constitutes being able to terminate somebody. And can you force somebody to go through some weird religious training? There's a lot here. There's so much there. Yeah. We'll be following it. And, you know, my whole thing, too, is that this just seems so egregiously unconstitutional that sometimes I feel like, Moji, these judges who, like, hate our freedoms and would order this kind of thing, when they know that they have to rule for democracy, they will do everything in their power to create harm before they have the ruling. It's like a game to them. Yeah. Yep. It always feels like that, that it's a game that they're just seeing how far they can push things. And unfortunately, it's further than you'd think. I know. 
I know. But we had good news this week. You want some good news? I was going to say, please, let's bring the good news. What's happening in Colorado? Yeah, yeah I'm going to bring some good news. I know. I got back-to-back stories, baby. How did I get this on the show today? <laughs> I guess I just did. So this is pretty cool. Three Colorado medical boards ruled this week that the practice of abortion reversal should be tossed into the drink bleach and eat horse dewormer classification of medical treatment, all stating that it is not part of standard medical protocol. The regime, invented by a quack doctor who gave a few pregnant people fistfuls of progesterone after they had taken their first dose of the abortion pill to reverse their abortion. That's not a thing. Uh-uh. Um, has been denounced as unfounded, untested, dangerous experimentation by ACOG, the AMA, and every reputable national medical organization. Yet, lawmakers in over a dozen states have pushed some kind of law forcing doctors to push this on their patients. So it's a lot to unpack. Mo, do you want to give the backstory? Yeah. So the backstory, this is actually really great. Colorado passed law in April banning abortion reversal, designating it unprofessional conduct. And immediately, Catholic-based anti-abortion clinic started a lawsuit saying this law violates their free speech. And shockingly, a Trump-appointed judge agreed and allowed them to continue selling this abortion snake oil. Now, surprise, surprise. Right. Prosecutors in Colorado denounced that because this judge said, we're going to put a stay on that and allow you to sell that, uh, we're going to defer enforcing this law until medical boards weighed in as to whether abortion reversal is considered standard medical treatment. Well, of course it's not. And so this week, three of those three boards weighed in and the Colorado State Medical Board, the Nursing Board, and the Pharmacist Board all agreed that the practice of giving patients massive amounts of progesterone to reverse an abortion, which is not a thing, is in fact not a part of standard care regimen. So no matter what the Catholic Fate Clinic says, this is not medicine. And it hasn't been. And this has been ever since this quackery started, which is around maybe in the late 2000s. I think it was the aughts. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has come forward. The AMA, in the first time in the history of their organization, filed a lawsuit in 2019 against a North Dakota law that said, Physicians were going to be forced to lie to patients that this was actually a course of treatment that they could offer. Um, and the AMA was like, we're filing a lawsuit because we're not going to allow our doctors to lie to patients about unfounded treatments and science, you know? And this is going to be interesting to watch because with these three solid medical boards, you know, weighing in so strongly that this is not a form of protocol. It made me think about the case that we were talking about last week on Instagram Live, where uh, California has passed a law that is that has said you cannot promote abortion reversal. And they're also being sued by the fake clinics that they are bringing a suit against. And the fake clinics are saying we have protection because the the Supreme Court said in 2015, if we don't provide medical care, then we can lie all we want. We can dress up like a doctor and we can lie. Right. But this protocol is actually medicine. This is giving people progesterone. And so this is real. it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. And if this nuance that, oh, no, if they're giving people medicine, then they're not just cosplaying. They are practicing medicine without a license or something like that. And we haven't had a case that involves abortion reversal and fake clinics go to the Supreme Court that had so many astute medical organizations 
coming out against it. So I can only imagine that if this California case weaves its way to the Supreme Court, that not only will it be the medical boards of Colorado, it's going to be a whole bunch of amicus briefs filed by medical boards from around the country and nationally saying this is an outrage that this has been passed as law and that doctors are forced to comply with it and tell their patients it's a real thing. Yeah, this is really exciting to hear. And this this is a win. And we really haven't had many wins in abortion reversal. So I'm super excited. Me too. In reversing abortion reversal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Love a double negative. <laughs> reversing abortion reversal. <laughs> Bam. And you're going to take us over to what's round on the ends and high in the middle, other than sometimes me. I am blanking on this riddle. Tell me. Ohio. Oh. <laughs> you do not know that off Dixie I Riddle do Cups? not know that joke. And that is really funny because it's right in front of me. I mean, I basically said it. But anyway, what is the fuckery in Ohio? All right. So this week, the Ohio Supreme Court heard arguments to decide if doctors have the right to challenge abortion bans on behalf of their patients, specifically in Ohio around the unenforced six-week ban that is currently on their books. But also this could have repercussions and most likely would on any future cases challenging abortion bans. So just to give some backstory, in theory, people are not supposed to be able to just bring a legal case because you feel like it. You have to prove that in some way you have or will be harmed by that law or action. And the ability to bring that case because the outcome affects you directly is called standing. So standing is what allows doctors to say, I may not be pregnant, but I can challenge this abortion ban on behalf of my patients because yes, it affects me and I'm acting as their representative. I love this story for a lot of reasons. And one is, Remember back in the day, and I think it was 2018, we went to the Supreme Court and the case was called June Medical. And it was a case that was literally the same case that they heard the year before, but because they had different judges, they wanted to see if they could overturn things. And it was a it was a law trying to uphold trap laws, right? Yeah. And in Sam Alito's dissent, he said he didn't think doctors had standing. Yeah. So he was like, a doctor can't sue on behalf of a patient, only a patient can sue on behalf of a patient. But I don't understand that at all. <laughs> I don't understand no, that. It doesn't work. It especially doesn't work when we're talking about abortion and pregnancy because legal cases don't happen in a week uh, and they don't happen in a year. <laughs> and sometimes right. they don't happen in two years. And so if a doctor can't say all of my patients or potential patients will be affected by whatever this ruling is, then one pregnant person at a time has to stand up and say, I'm affected. And I'm pregnant. I've got a window of time. We know how long these things take. And, you know, this is such an interesting case because as we're looking at this Mifepristone case that's coming down the barrel, that Mifepristone case is also about whether or not anti-abortion doctors have yes. standing. and. If doctors who provide abortions don't have standing to defend abortion, how the hell could a doctor that doesn't provide abortions at all and creates an imaginary scenario in with which they would be harmed? Potentially. Yeah. Would have standing. I'm, I'm going to be very curious to watch how this plays out. Well, you know, this is just another of those talking out of both sides of your mouth, sneaky, backdoor, anti-abortion ways of just 
steamrolling past our rights. I know. Um, So Liz, I wanted to talk about this case mostly because when reading some of the articles about it, people were like, this six-week ban could go into effect before this November ballot initiative, which hopefully will enshrine the right to bodily autonomy for um, all Ohioans. And then I'll talk to our colleague who lives in Ohio and who is in contact and in coalition with the pro-abortion people in her state. And they were like, that's not what we need to worry about. So Moji and Kristen Haiti, Kristen's a great, great, great person at our at our work here, uh, did a great Insta Live and a great TikTok about what this could mean. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend you watch the whole thing. But like, what were the takeaways that you got from Kristen Moji? So the takeaway is a the chance of a six-week ban being instituted before the November ballot, not really something we should worry about. What we do need to worry about right now is the ballot initiative. And that's in about six weeks from now. Um, so it could be aborted in six weeks. <laughs> Sorry, that was a stupid joke. <laughs> but um, the ballot initiative itself is beautiful. It's simple. It's gorgeous. However, the same Ohio Supreme Court allowed misleading language in the ballot initiative and not, again, in the final text that will become a part of the Constitution if it passes, but in what voters will see when they walk into the the ballot boxes, it says things like unborn child. It really only focuses on abortion when the ballot initiative is about all reproductive freedoms, including miscarriage management, IVF, contraception, and just sort of removing the state from having any say in our individual rights. The language on the ballot initiative for the voters when they go to vote is misleading. And so what we walked away with and what you'll see on the lives, or if you don't have time, you just go to the link, readtheamendment.com. You can read the amendment in its entirety. It's in plain language. You don't need a a medical or law degree to read it. And that is what you should be sharing with all your friends and know that when you go into the ballot box and you see words like, unborn child. That's not what this ballot initiative is doing. Yeah. And the other thing too, it's it's just enshrining abortion into their laws and reproductive freedom as a whole. You know, what this bill doesn't do, which is a bummer, is get rid of like, let's say, parental consent laws or some of the laws that they already have on their books. Those are going to be have to be, you know, repealed one at a time. But it's a good first step that they can't, um, that that they if we, if they do it, Anything that they this court rules about the six week ban doesn't matter anyway. Goes out the window exactly. So we don't don't worry about it just yet. We worry about the six week ban if the ballot initiative doesn't pass. And so let's put all of our effort and energy into passing this. That's right. Those are the stories Moji and I had to burn our bonnets about. Um, and as always, those stories that Moji and I talked about, all the stories Molly dumped will be in the show notes. And we remind you the best and the most up-to-the-minute resource on accessing abortion care and funding your care is right here on our website. You can just go to aafront.org and in the little corner, you will see the Charlie bot. The Charlie bot is a secure and safe way for you to ask any questions you need about your care, how to get care, how to fund care, and you'll be protected. It is awesome. All right. It's been a day. It's been a week. Um, And I'm ready to hear from our next guest, because I was not able to speak with her and I cannot wait to hear your interview. Yeah, Liz, I got to speak with the program manager of the Wild West Access Fund of Nevada, and that's an abortion fund that helps patients pay for procedures, provides practical financial support, 
and connects abortion seekers to clinics and education around abortion. They're incredible and dynamic, and I'm so excited to welcome Jazz Margarita Tobin. Jazz, thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. I'm excited you're here also. So let's just get into it. In the realm of post-row abortion access in the United States, Nevada's doing pretty great. Um, by 2019, you would kind of repealed or amended a lot of the terrible bans. And then last year, you passed new legislation. So can you go into more detail about some of the new protections that have been put in place in Nevada? Sure, absolutely. So a tip for non-Nevadans, um, it's Nevada. <laughs> um, I don't, I want you to be good on these streets. Nevada? Um, Nevada, yes. Did I say Nevada? Did I say Nevada? Yeah. Oh, no, I did. Yeah, no. My pronunciation is terrible, sorry. <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. It's a very common um, thing. So um, I just know that like people from Nevada won't forgive me if I don't correct it <laughs> say anything you have to rep your state at all times yeah I mean <laughs> I'm so proud I'm born and raised from Nevada and um luckily we have um some really great advocacy groups and organizers that you know I've also been um in communication and collaboration with and Last year, our former Governor Sisolak, he put forth an executive order when Dobbs fell, and it protected out-of-state um, travelers coming into Nevada for reproductive health care. They use the umbrella term, but it was for, you know, because of Dobbs. So given the state of abortion access here, we only have up to 24 weeks, um, but that is pretty outstanding um, considering just how different it varies across the country. Yes. So our state agencies will not work with other state agencies to prosecute or criminalize abortion seekers having to travel for repro health care. And um, that executive order turned into a piece of legislation during Nevada's 80s third legislative session. We have a biennial legislature and that happened this year. So um, SB 131 was great. It passed and um, it's been, you know, really just validating and comforting that we're able to continue to do this work. I know the clinics talked about it with me and it just all around feels like, you know, even though we're not the most expansive state, we are a protected state. Nice. It really, when I was reading about Nevada, I was like, oh, wow, they're killing it. You are the program manager at Wild West Access Fund of Nevada. Can you tell us all of the ways that your fund supports abortion seekers and the people who love them? Oh, I love that last part. Well, we started as a social media account and a Venmo account. So we started very nitty gritty, mutual aid kind of style, just like put this pot of money together and redistribute it. And so far, we've done the same thing. That was about two years ago when we were founded. And um, we have expanded from procedural funding to practical support over the last year. And I'm really proud of our practical support program because we use our dollars, our gift cards, you know, people's donations and hard-earned time and labor um, as well outside of staff, outside of my own, because I'm the only employee, but we have <laughs> one person. Keeping I, I am one person. I am one person. <laughs> However, we are very much a volunteer run organization and uh, the volunteers run our intake line. And we also have a volunteer board. 
Yeah, so we do procedural funding, practical support, and our, our practical support, our model looks like a spend down budget now. And um, now we just implemented a new budget and reporting mechanism this past, past month. So it mainly covers travel inside the region to the region, lodging, hotels and such. We use Relo Share. A lot of funds like to use it because there's um, aliases that we're able to use for patients, leaving less of a paper trail. And the travel inside the region is a really important piece for people traveling into Nevada because they're not able to receive local anesthesia with our clinics if they don't have a driver and they can't do ride share. And also, you know, they just want support. They're having to travel um, across state lines to get their abortion care. And so we're happy to organize and provide that either through staff or volunteer rides. That's incredible. What are the challenges that both you as a funder, but also um, some of the clinics in Nevada face due to the increased amount of patients? Yeah, so I um, was given the questions before this podcast for full transparency, and I called one of our clinics that I have a good relationship with. And I was like, hey, y'all, I'm going to be on this podcast. And is there anything that you want me to share to the listeners about what the clinics are experiencing? And essentially my original answer, and I told her on the phone, the administrator, I was like, I was just going to say that y'all are tired, y'all are booked, y'all are busy, and you don't get breaks. And that, you know, contributes to a lot of the burnout that we're experiencing in the abortion access world. And she's like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. (laughs) And I was like, okay, well, that's good. And is there anything else? And, you know, um, there was, there has been turnover um, in some of our clinics, and this clinic specifically asked me a couple months ago if there's any organizations, any causes supporting clinics. And I asked our networks, and we received a few things, um, but we did care baskets for the staff, and we check in every so often. But it's endless. The work is endless. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what prompted me to find. um, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, but I found Abortion Access uh, Front's contact info uh, where I connected with Max for ideas. Shout out to Max. Shout out to Max, Max, our program director's extraordinaire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they thought of me being on the podcast. I'm really happy to be here and to share But, you know, our our clinics are amazing and we can't do it without them. You know, we're not we can't exist as a fund if the clinics don't exist, if their staff isn't taken care of. And so, yeah, you know, our patients have really good experiences generally with our clinics. And but last week, a doctor got sick after Labor Day weekend and had to reschedule two days worth of appointments. And I'm glad he took care of himself, period. I'm glad he took care of Of himself. I'm glad the staff took care of themselves. I just can't imagine that they have actual long-winded well-deserved breaks and um, I had three or four out-of-state patients coming in last week at the same time and we had to scramble and provide and coordinate practical support between our fund um, the abortion fund of Arizona and fund Texas Choice shout out to them our partners and collaborators so it is definitely a team effort and you know we have to take care of our team when you think about all the ways like that 
the the diminishing access in this country really puts so much strain on the remaining providers. Like the idea that a that a doctor could like two days of a break that was needed because they were sick was just a scramble for everything around them is so overwhelming, but so much the post-dobs reality, even truly the pre-dobs reality, let's be honest, abortion access in this country has been dwindling in a significant mm. way. Um, and I'm really glad that you got in touch with Max and that she started supporting clinics. Supporting clinics is one of the main things we do at Abortion Access Front, and it's one of the more uh, inspiring things that we get done. How many clinics are there in your state? There's seven in Las Vegas and there's two in Reno. Um, we fund a total of five in Nevada. And um, there's also Planned Parenthoods, which I'm not including in that number. And there's two Planned Parenthoods, I think. I, I might be including that in that number, actually. <laughs> um, but we fund indie clinics. Yes, that's where the bulk of abortions are done in this country. <laughs> right, right. We know that. All right. So more and more Latin American countries are changing laws to increase access to abortion. This month, Mexico decriminalized the procedure nationally following abortion rights gains in Argentina and Colombia in recent years. It's Hispanic Heritage Month, and that gives us all one more thing to celebrate. Latin people make up 30 percent of the Nevada population. Can you talk about what we can learn about those really huge changes in countries with deeply Catholic cultures? And how we can use that knowledge to fight stigma and fight for access here in the U.S. That question is so refreshing. <laughs> I did listen to the last podcast episode, and I'm glad y'all really touched on the decriminalization, uh, decriminalization and the history in Latin America. Latin America has a deep history spanning decades fighting for reproductive justice, spanning from issues against femicide and um, families kidnapping and to abortion access now. And it's really important that our that we see our ancestral motherlands fight and win because of their consistent messaging and organizing. This is generational and historical. Um, I love being Latina, even the burdens having come from a very religious family, but it's also why I'm so spiritual and resilient. And I think it ties into my the way I look at my work in abortion access, abortion has been around since time immemorial. Abortion law only has existed since the mid 20th century. We know that here, right? Mm -hmm. Because of white supremacy and colonization. So um, the concept of generation and generational blessings and curses and wealth are all very intertwined with abortion care and abortion access. In the context of the communities I belong to, I see it this way. I'm Latina. And I'm also a Latina from the east side of Vegas. And I had an abortion in my early 20s. This is all very personal and com about community to me. Um, our university in Vegas has done studies that nearly 90% of our strips labor force are Linux in the service industry. Um, my mom's one of them, our, and my brother is too. Our biggest union reports over half of our met membership is Latinx. And the east side is his historically dominant Mexican, Salvadoran, and Cuban you know, I wish people would understand that the east side of Vegas is kind of like the east of L.A. or the Brentwood in New York in our own unique and non-unique ways. And our patient base reflect this. So we ran stats earlier and 27.9, I think, 28 percent of our patient base self-reported as Latinx. Um, about 15 percent have Spanish as their first language. We serve we service Spanish clients. And nearly 65% of all of our patients choose clinics on the east side. Shout out to those clinics for holding it down. And I'm glad that we've 
you know, delve a little bit deeper into it. But I think being Latina, right, I don't want to fit in this perfectly assigned box. And that has been my entire journey. (laughs) And I've seen firsthand where assimilation has also caused culture to die. And that's a curse. Mm -hmm. But not fitting in the box is a blessing. You know, I am messy and I am angry and I am tired. I will get loud and I will shout and I will cry and I will rise with the sun again. And I will decide that my own destiny and where to leverage my power will be. That power is something that I inherited. That power that drives me to provide and serve for my community, I inherited. You know, we don't talk about power in autonomy and Latinas want autonomy. They want to, they do, we, they own their decisions and our families' lives. We have power, even if it's not totally tapped into or harnessed in the States, the same way it is in Latin America. But I'm not just talking about like the immigrant Latinas. I'm also talking about indigenous Latinas and Afro and Black Latinas, all of it not mutually exclusive. But when we're talking about power, I mean, on my mom's side of the family alone. <laughs> I have 70 immediate family, tias, tios, cousins, kids of cousins, married cousins. Um, and I'm still forgetting some, you know, that that is power. And so when we've been calling for decolonization and abolition, reparations, real, tangible, material justice, all of it can happen. The transformative work happens across kitchen tables and front door stoops too. And so uh, my vision, our vision for abortion care aligns with these intersectional justice that we see abroad. And in a way, abortion access is also decolonization because it centers community care amongst one another. And being a Latina, a Catholic programmed one, I've had to dig deep to decolonize myself and to decolonize the shame and the stigma that I felt when I had an abortion in my early 20s. So yeah, I mean, that's also a generational blessing and curse in itself is um, living free from the stigma, the shame, the misinformation, because of religion based concepts, something that y'all thankfully at feminist bus pills and abortion access front. Thank you, you know, for that watchdog type of labor that you do. I mean, we love to do it, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's like anyone, like we're all, not all of us they're you know, <clears throat> but we all are a work in progress. We all live in this society. We all have our cultural um, histories, changes, thoughts, uh, fights. And I think all of these things can contribute to both perpetuating abortion stigma, but also are the tools we can use to fight abortion stigma. I think it's the double-edged swords and we have to just continue talking, you know, we have to keep continue fighting. We have to um, just continue working on it. I loved when you were like, oh yeah, we did our polling. And it turns out that the population that visits your clinics matches roughly the population of Latin people in Nevada, right? Like it basically says mm-hmm. this is a community good. This is something that the community is accessing. Um, everyone accesses it. Abortion care isn't isn't designated for one group. It's for all of us. It's for all of us who need them. Absolutely. We have been talking and um, I just have one final question. And you kind of touched on it, but I really want you to kind of take this moment to get in and 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 give us really like functional action work where year post-ops and abortion funds, probably like yours, are experiencing drastic decrease in donations and volunteer support. And is this something that you guys are experiencing? And if so, what would you like to see more of from your community in terms of support? Our community holds us down through and through, and we are so grateful for it. And 
I am not sure because of our origin, crowdfunding and such as many funds do, and how much time was spent in the early days doing local community outreach. It was pretty consistent. And board members, I was also one at the time, we were at different funders' houses to meet their friends. I remember like doing anything, you know, that people invited us to because we were counting literal pennies for the longest Mm -hmm. times before dubs. And um, we've luckily now gotten to a point where our monthly donors sustain us. Um, And if you want to become a monthly donor, I would so appreciate it. Um, And and slash but we have hella work to do on that end to make sure that they're well appreciated. They are our bread and butter. We are so lucky to have them and measurably lucky to have them and their trust. Um, I do think a part of it is earned and I try to lead us where we're very transparent and we stick true to our values that every dollar we receive is redistributed to our abortion seekers. And in that way, it's also limiting because we have to find grant dollars to sustain salaries and infrastructure and yada, yada. And we have to find the capacity to do that, just like any other nonprofit. So I've struggled with a lot with that this year, managing the nonprofit industrial complex and my burnout. But um, it takes a lot of capacity, but our community outreach has lacked in some ways. And I miss FaceTime with our community more often. If volunteers wanted to, they can definitely continue to throw things for us. And we will try our very best to, one, support it, and two, to make it out there. I just had someone who told me while I was tabling last month that they had their tubes tied and threw a party at their house where they asked folks to donate to us. And I couldn't stop smiling and laughing. (laughs) That is so good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, in terms of support, I've had personal friends, friends who have you know, are working in different industries, chime in themselves to support me and our volunteers. It means so much. They, you know, gift us Starbucks gift cards that we give to the volunteers. So anything that helps me give to the volunteers and support them and make them feel appreciated really helps. And a margarita and some karaoke goes a long way. Everybody (laughs) loves a margarita and some karaoke. I will make sure that we have the um, link to donate to your fund in our show notes so that our listeners can know exactly where to go if they have money to spare um, and money to put towards this incredible cause. Um, This has been so great. And Jazz, before you go, is there anything else you want to share? I'm really proud of the work that we've done and my spiritual growth in this because we talked about the stigma and shame and misinformation that are barriers, if not the ultimate barrier to abortion care. And we saw it during COVID, the lockdown, the pandemic, all of it is interrelated and it affected my community a lot on the east side in Nevada, across the country. And um, people target the Spanish speaking community, you know, causing rampant outcomes and um, we know that badass Latinas are out here talking to abuelitas and tias and their nietes and sobrinos about it, um, both their 70 that they have in home, at home in their states, but also in the motherland through WhatsApp and the ones we meet servicing our community and who we, we will never meet again. Latinas want wealth for us and our next kin. That's why many immigrants come here and create it by their blood, sweat and tears. There's nothing greedy or shameful about it. But when we have to use our limited and well-earned resources for basic health care, it's against this quote-unquote American dream and false promises, right? This is socio-historically accurate. I'm always going to be here no matter what position I'm in. 
fighting for the East side. And I hope that one day we can get our collective message right. And the same elite, often white, rich women who are retired and have nothing else to do, decide to care about black and brown people's lives. These people, I hope that they can take a step back and allow people with direct lived experience to lead. And working in coalition and in solidarity with many states and organizers the past few years, I see it everywhere. Um, shout out to Luisa and Zaina from AFAS and Frontera Fund holding it down where they're at. Those are Latinas that come to mind as movement leaders and my heroes. And um, I'm hoping that the Wild West Fund will continue to find its identity and to have this courage and the strength, because I know my courage and my strength comes from my ancestors and my community. Jess, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Moji. You can donate at wildwestfund.org slash donate or follow them on IG at Wild West Fund Nevada or on Twitter at Wild West Fund. And links will be in the show notes. And now it's time for the party game that's faster than Monopoly and more fun than Taboo, Six Degrees of Abortion. This is when Moji picks a story from the news and I have six chances to link it somehow to abortion. Let's see if she'll stump me this week. What is that, Moji? What do you got? This is good. So I was minding my own business and I read a story um, by Anderson Cooper and he was talking about his mom, Gloria Vanderbilt, who I know nothing about except for I remember she had a fragrance when I was growing up. But jeans, baby. She, she had jeans and a fragrance, right? There's the jeans, right? I used to, in 1979, I would soak the Gloria Vanderbilt jeans wet and I would put them on wet and let them dry on my body. That sounds uncomfortable. It, but it really <laughs> needed to get that yeast infection type jean look <laughs> nice. that you were wearing with your candies <laughs> making it happen and your satin blouse. Oh my God, we're talking about Anderson Cooper's mom, Liz. Anderson Cooper's mom. So he tells the story about when she was 85, um, she called him and she was like, hey, you should have a kid. Anderson Cooper is not straight and I'll be your surrogate. (laughs) He was like, no, mom. (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, But thank you. Uh, Anyway, I thought that story was hilarious and kind of funny. I mean, I'm trying to, you can't see my face, but I'm literally (laughs) like, the ew factor of that is so Oedipal and weird. Apparently her doctor had said like, well, you can bear a child. If, you know, the uterus works forever. If you got one, it's probably still working. It's just the other parts that don't work. What is she even, an 85-year-old going through labor? Yes. <laughs> okay, first of all, did she ask her plastic surgeon instead of an actual OBGYN? Talk to her doctor wild. and then to her son. Oh my <laughs> god! Okay, wild. so am I supposed to tie incest to abortion? No, just that's a common one. Just Gloria Vanderbilt. Tie Gloria Vanderbilt to abortion? I think I just did. Putting on those wet jeans, and you, you know, I got pregnant in high school because of those tight wet jeans. No, so I'm going to say wearing a celebrity product does not link them to abortion. Do better. okay. All right. Well, let's say this. Gloria Vanderbilt is best friends with David Geffen. David Geffen had his offices on Sunset Boulevard, very close to the comedy store. I did comedy at the comedy store. Am I tying it? That's like a reach, like an office near where I did comedy is a reach. I mean, here's my thoughts. 
All right. There's well, Anderson Cooper in here. I know. No, you said lack Anderson. Well, okay. No, I didn't. I didn't. I did not do any inclusions. I just said Gloria Vanderbilt. <laughs> okay. So Gloria Vanderbilt's son is Anderson Cooper. Yes. Anderson Cooper used to host the New Year's Eve specials with Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin is a virulent and outspoken champion of abortion. So Kathy Griffin, Anderson Cooper, Anderson Cooper to Glory Vanderbilt's jeans. I'll take it. That's okay. acceptable. Yeah, that's, that's acceptable. One. Yeah, yeah, anyway. that's a good one. I'm like, oh, wearing a celebrity product. Come on now. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> All right, that was pretty fair. Good. Fair. That was pretty good. All right. I pulled that one out of my butt. <laughs> um, okay, so that feels good. Yeah, no, I like it. I know. I feel like our next guest would have got would have would have liked my win on the first one anyway. You may know our next guest is the woman who went viral winning a treadmill on The Price is Right when she has no feet. She is also a stand-up comedian, writer, actor, and one of the dopest people I know. And if you don't know how hilarious she is, let's roll in a clip so you can know. I made the right choice for me. I had an abortion. It was super chill. It was very chill. I can tell from all your silence, you're also very chill. (laughs) With my choice. Oh, you know she's going to bring up that joke in her combo. Please welcome the hilarious Danielle Perez. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh, my God, Danielle. It is so good to see you. Liz, it's so good to see you. Mm-hmm. So good to see you also. I'm just getting in on this. So good to see you. I know. The last time I think I saw you was the before times. Yes. And you brought a bunch of dessert to the AAF offices and were a boss and hung mm-hmm. out with us. And it was really fun. I had a New York day and I wanted to try all the New York tasty treats. You know, all the things that you see on best lists. And I wanted to see you guys. <laughs> well, you saw them with a gang of people who really appreciate it. But I met you for the first time. Do you remember? Oh my God, yes. Yes, when we recorded, we shot a video to be played in like abortion centers. Uh, About abortions. (laughs) About abortions, about having an abortion and how it's like, you're going to be fine. And we've all had one and we're doing okay. I know. That video was a real, like, it was a blast in the past. And I know it like made me really happy because it was like, wow, you know, like you've been doing this for so long. And I got to meet like, there were a lot of women there that I like know through stand up and comedy that I didn't know had had abortions and they don't necessarily talk about it in their material. But it was just it felt nice to be in company of like, yeah, we've all experienced this thing and we're we're all doing OK. Well, what the, what I love about it is going back like we shot it probably, I don't know, six years ago or seven years ago. God, yeah, it's so long ago. And through the course of that time, there were some people in the video that was like, you know what? I'm happy to do this if it's going to be in clinics, but um, I don't know how I feel about it. Every single person in that video is like, show it to anybody who wants it. <laughs> like the times have changed. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> profoundly. But, you know, your your story was pretty amazing about your abortion. And I wish you would tell people because like we all have our reasons and yours was pretty good. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I was 30. My boyfriend lived with his grandma and it was like, we are not in a position to have a kid and I don't want to have a kid with you. And I feel like that's the best reason. <laughs> I don't want to have a kid with yeah, you. Nice. I don't. I really don't. I don't yeah. think it's a good idea. <laughs> and I don't even know if I want to have a kid, but it's not with you. I just can't. Oh my gosh. If I was still tied to that person, I just, I, <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Parenthood is forever. It is. It is forever. And I think that's a thing. You know, I I feel pretty fortunate. Like I grew up with two parents that are financially stable. They divorced when I was really young. And even with that, it's like, you know, it's still, you know, high school trauma and teen angst and all that bullshit. Like, but, you know, I think my parents tried really hard to co-parent and stuff like that. And like, despite all of that, you know, it's still really hard raising a kid. And so I just can't imagine doing it in a situation where I I don't feel like we are like just financially stable and in a good place. And that even just the responsibility level, like I had to buy my own pregnancy test. Like he went with me and I'm the one who put my credit card down. <laughs> I had to pay for my abortion. Like, this man could not even afford his half of the pregnancy test. Like, it's just, no. Yeah. This, how is this going to work? I feel like if the dude can't pay for half of the abortion, he's not going to be supportive during During half of of parenthood. He's definitely not going to be equipped for that. Absolutely not. (laughs) I feel like you make good choices. But like, when did you get to the point, like, post-abortion when you were just like, oh, I'm totally ready to talk about my abortion publicly? You know, it was, it wasn't something that I necessarily, like, kept secret. Like, I told, like, my friends. I didn't really tell, like, my, my family. Like, I didn't have, like, a, an announcement coming out party. (laughs) But, uh, hey, mom and dad, actually... The first time they found out about my abortion was watching my stand-up, was watching me perform on stage. Naturally. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> at JFL. Um, <laughs> you know, the most prestigious comedy festival in the world. Hey, mom and dad. <laughs> you daughter made it. And she's got a surprise for you. But <laughs> I actually, I was doing a Good Friends podcast, Erin Darling, and it was all about like, exes ex-boyfriends and stuff like that and I was talking about this partner that I had and I told her about my abortion like that was basically when the you know I had the abortion the relationship after that it was like I don't I don't want to have a kid with you I don't want to be with you actually this is very let's not do this anymore but um she was like oh my god do you like talk about that on stage like your abortion and everything I was like what no and she's like it's funny it's a bit I was like really she's like you have to. She's like, I'm going to make you do it tonight. You're going to go up on stage and you're going to talk about it. And I did. And it's like one of my favorite bits. And I really love it. And I don't know. I think, you know, it's it's relatable. Like so many women have had abortions, you know. All the cool people have had abortions. It's a common medical procedure. Like it's something that we should be able to talk about. Like it just, yeah. it's another fact of life. And yeah, it's funny. Like everything else in life, like shit, it's funny. <laughs> I agree. And you know, it's so interesting, Danielle, because whenever we ask um, all of our performer friends to come and, you know, make videos and do that, zero people were like, how can we make 
abortion interesting or funny. It's always the outside world. And it's like your own personal experience. You get to have any emotional range you want about it. And that includes abortion. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing that like part of the stigma comes from us buying into the narrative of the anti-abortion movement about the morality around abortion, what it means, what it means for us. It's wild. And, you know, it's interesting because we made that video a while ago and we thought things were the worst. Oh my gosh. We had no (laughs) idea what was to come. Like, I mean, truly, like if you would have put a list of like three, you know, the government's going to admit to aliens, Roe v. Wade's going to be overturned (laughs) and Trump is going to be president. And we're going to have a Donald Trump. All of us would be like, That is a future that would never exist. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. And as that future exists, like, you know, I am talking to two women who are not just women, you're women of color, you know, you're a queer woman of color, you're a queer woman of color with a disability, who is a reproductive rights advocate. It's like, you are just putting your body out there in the world. And one of the things that I love with you and talking about, and we have really we work with some really strong disability rights, abortion rights advocates, you know, Maison Zaid mm-hmm. and you and Lori Bertram Ross, and people who are talking profoundly about the intersections of disability rights and abortion rights, and also just like the erasure of folks with disabilities as sexual beings, as people who fuck, as people who are in the world yeah. who need these services, which means that our movement is being ableist and kind of messed up. Yeah, no, I mean, (laughs) just, I really hate the co-op, like co-opting disabled people and using them to like further your agenda that just like dehumanizes people and like seeks control over people. Like I think Imani Barberin, um, she has had some really great videos, especially talking about like conservatorship and how like now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned, like conservatorship is going to be like the new battleground for Republicans that if they can say you're disabled, if they can say you're crazy, right? Like you're mentally ill. If they can take away your autonomy because they say you're disabled, then they have access to your rights. They have access over, I mean, the fact that Britney Spears was in a conservatorship, was not allowed the reproductive freedom to remove her IUD. Mm -hmm. Like that is, that's sick and it's fucked up. Yep. And they're coming for us and they've done it, you know, historically to disabled people. They've been able to sterilize disabled people and keep disabled people, you know, reproductive choice is about reproductive freedom. So if you want to have a kid, if you don't want to have a kid, it should be your choice. You know, you should be able to make that decision yourself. It's wild when you you brought up the Britney Spears example and it's like, oh, if they can do that to a rich white oh, yes. woman, like what hope do we have? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we got to start fighting now before it gets any closer. Um You are an L.A. native who grew up feeling like the only Dominican girl in L.A. Yes. (laughs) No, we know. We know that there's a robust community. There's more (laughs) of like, well, there's a robust community of Latin people. Yes. (laughs) But how was that particular distinction important for you? Well, you know, Dominicans, they're part of the like African diaspora, right? Like colonial boats got there and mixed with native people. So it's just a real mixed bag of colors. (laughs) So, you know, I'm black, I'm Dominican, but growing up, I just didn't, 
you know, Dominican people are like, we're Dominican, we're not black. And so but all these people are coming up to me like, so you're black and Mexican? Because I'm speaking Spanish. And I'm like, no, I'm Dominican. Just having no concept of like, if you present black, you're black. That's how black works. <laughs> so I was raised close to Washington Heights. So we didn't have that problem. I'm not Dominican, but right, I'm like, you know. Dominicans look like my cousins and they spoke Spanish. Yeah, and you're <laughs> like, you're black. And they're like, no, we're Dominican. And so... It was a very, like, now we have the word Afro-Latina, and I'm, like, thankful for it. I'm very happy for it. It explains it (laughs) in a way that I just had no concept of how to at, like, eight years old in elementary school. (laughs) Being regarded with suspicion by, like, all the, like, Mexican and Salvadorians, like, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, my family, we spent... um... This is a little off topic, but on topic, we spent a lot of time last year in um, Cartagena, Ooh. and that was definitely an Afro-Latino moment. She loves saying Cartagena. She fucking loves it. Do you want to say it again, Mojo? Cartagena. <laughs> <laughs> and But like we traveled to like Costa Rica, which has Black people, Afro-Latino people, and we traveled to Mexico, which doesn't really have many of that. But like Cartagena was the first place we were like, if we shut up, we would just blend in because <laughs> we speak no Spanish. <laughs> You could, I mean, you know, stay there for three months and you'll be speaking just like anyone else there. (laughs) Will you explain this Exuma shirt you're wearing, please? Uh, It's a shirt. It says it's better in Exuma. And babe, that's a lie. I I don't know what Exuma told, is telling the tourists, but Exuma is the island that Ja Rule and Billy McFarlane used to plan Fire Festival the fire festival island <laughs> fire island and you decided to go there after the fact you thought i'm gonna right. go there for no i had a bestie and she was like i want a girl's trip i want a real housewives style ladies trip in the off season <laughs> on the island where they were gonna have the fire yes festival. that's how that sounds that so we got there and babe wow it <laughs> i also feel like be wary of an island that as a verb means digging up dead bodies. Oh my God. Is that? <laughs> Did not oh my God. I truly didn't even is. think of that. Not even think oh about God. that. Every time I saw eczema, I'm like, or a skin oh my disease. God. Eczema, eczema. <laughs> wow. Just exhuming. Oh my God. We just, they wanted to party. They wanted to party with partiers past, you know, that's <laughs> what. That was Billy and Ja Rule's dream. <laughs> I, I got on a jet ski and flipped over in the ocean. I survived to tell the tale. How was that for it you? It was, I, so right now I don't have my gel extensions. My nails are very janky. And the fact that I'm showing you this on camera and describing it for your listeners is very vulnerable of me. So I don't want that to be dismissed. Thank you for being vulnerable with us. Don't judge. Okay. I had like long gel extensions, which are like a good like half an inch off the nail like they're long I usually do medium and that's pretty clickety clackety but these were long so like a flojo kind of thing not as not as long as a flojo I feel like flojo and cardi b are very much it's like half a cardi b which is still very long okay that's pretty long that's pretty long (laughs) yeah wow and uh you know I don't have feet and I'm in the middle of the ocean can't touch the ocean floor it's very deep out there and 
Thankfully, it was with my best friend, Madison Shepard, was also on this jet ski with me. And so we just, like, she climbed up, and then, like, we had to, like, lever. It was just, I I don't know, like, where I found the strength to just hoist myself. It was, I felt like I was in, like, American Gladiator. Do you know what I mean? Like, they up you yeah. off. And, like, uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't break a single nail. She persevered. She made it. Exuma didn't beat her. This is what I love about the story. I didn't break a single nail. I was waiting for drowning. And it's like, no, the punchline is I did not. (laughs) You're a goddess. (laughs) You're a goddess. That it makes you a goddess. So you are so hilarious. And you are so just passionate, hilarious. And people know you're hilarious because they heard as we introduced (laughs) you. But I don't know how we're living in the world in 2022 with a film coming out that's called Dick the Musical. And why isn't everyone talking about it? And will you please talk about it? Because the trailer is epic. Tell folks who's in it, what it is. Oh, my fucking God. Dick's the Musical. It's Cuckoo Bananas. It's an amazing musical written by Aaron Jackson and Josh Sharp. Um, it is Megan the Stallion's like feature film debut. So we have Megan the Stallion rapping, acting, just being, you know, a bad bitch, <laughs> being a hottie. <laughs> and the uh, fully a hottie. Fully a hottie. The musical is about, it's basically the parent trap, but it is these two like busy businessmen who fuck and get laid and make money and are captains of industry. And they end up working at the same company and realize that they are fucking identical twins. And they decide to get their parents back together. <laughs> And their parents are Nathan Lane oh and Megan God. Mullally. Yes, Megan Mullally. Yes. Oh, my Will God. And Grace fame, obsessed with her, love her. Nathan Lane, I mean. Come on. Only murders in the building, super iconic. And if that isn't enough for you to be, like, hyped up and excited about this movie, Bowen Yang plays God. Oh, my God. A gay-ass <laughs> God in booty shorts. It is perfection. Oh it is God. sweet. It is delicious it's directed by larry charles who's directed like tons of seinfeld and curb and borat it's wild he's a genius larry charles is a friggin' mm-hmm. genius and why why is it not just all over everywhere i don't understand well a lot of it is um not everyone is like familiar with like the interim agreement that sag has put out basically it's produced oh. by A24. And so A24 has signed the interim agreement. So there are films in production. There are films that are coming out. Members of SAG aren't breaking. Um, they're not crossing the their union directives or the picket line by promoting it. Oh, well, duh. No wonder. I, why haven't we heard about it? Because you can't promote shit. You can't promote anything, but you can promote this. Yeah. It just uh, debuted at the Toronto Film Festival and Bowen was there with um, Aaron and Josh. And I'm I'm really excited. It's it's uh, just a cuckoo bananas ride. The I love that in the marketing, it's like sick and twisted and just like <laughs> gay, like <laughs> your worst nightmare, a <laughs> woke fever dream. It's like, you guys thought the Barbie movie was bad? Buckle up. Get into it. <laughs> oh, my God. I cannot wait for Ben Shapiro to ben literally Shapiro uh, is- just like poop his pants <laughs> about big gay Bowen Yang in booty shorts as, as God. his Lord yes. and Savior. Yes. Oh. Oh my God, so good. Danielle, I hate that we have to leave, but it goes so fast talking to all the people we love. 
Thank you for being epic and amazing. And we're going to tell everyone where to find you. All the things for Danielle will be in the show notes, including her amazing part in that video that we did for the clinics. Danielle, it's so great to have you. Thanks for coming. So great being here. So wonderful seeing you both. And hopefully again soon. You can follow Danielle on Instagram and Twitter at Diva Deluxe and check out our website, DaniellePerez.com. And don't forget to try to find Dicks the Musical at a theater somewhere near you coming out this fall. Links are in our show notes. Liz, that's our show. That's our show. Thank you to Jazz Margarita Tobin with the Wild West Access Fund of Nevada for joining us. And again, thanks to Danielle Perez for being totally awesome. And thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please like, subscribe, and show us some love with a five-star rating and stay connected with us at Abortion Front. You can make a difference and have some fun doing it. Hey, looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? We've got a five-part activist training series, Operation Save Abortion at operationsaveabortion.com. And visit our super cool activist calendar, which is full of local and national actions and educational opportunities. We have several fantastic ways to continue your learning coming up on the activist calendar, like religion and repro training by Faith Choice Ohio, pregnancy options workshop by All Options, and state-specific trainings. Find it all out in the activist calendar at operationsaveabortion.com. And next week's guests are delightful. Vanessa Arenas with the Society of Family Planning will be here to discuss the hashtag WeCount initiative. And comedian and author Ida Rodriguez is here to discuss her upcoming memoir, Legitimate Kid. Join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. FBK is edited by Remedy Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And finally, we leave you with Christian hate preacher Tanner Firth, a man who shows his whole ass by exposing the true agenda of the pro-life movement. For those who cause a child harm to that child, they should be put to death, right? Every abortion doctor should be put to death. Now, I would argue that the woman also should be put to death. You know, she knowingly knows what she's doing. I mean, Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.